We are in the third week of Easter and the third week of our Easter message series. We're looking at influence, the influence of Jesus of Nazareth, a man who grew up in obscurity in a working class household and an impoverished outpost of the Roman Empire. He never wrote a book, commanded an army, held political office, headed a company. He was not wealthy. He didn't even have a permanent address. And yet, he's had more influence in our Western civilization, and in some ways, the whole world, than any person who ever lived. His influence has determined our calendar. It's inspired the greatest achievements in art and architecture, music, science, medicine. It forms the foundation of some of our most basic values, like healthcare, childcare, social services, monogamy, democracy. Such is the influence of Jesus of Nazareth. Influence. Influence is force. It can be a compelling force affecting the actions and behaviors, the opinions and thinking of others, and eventually the outcomes they experience. In some ways, our biggest challenge actually comes in appreciating and understanding Jesus' influence, because we tend to underestimate it, especially when it comes to how Jesus influenced the views we have or ought to have of one another and the values that should guide how we treat one another. But how did he do it? How did he do it? Well, it turns out he did it by introducing a movement, a movement that he called the ecclesia. As we've already seen in the course of this series, ecclesia is a Greek word regarding a group of people coming together on behalf of the larger community with the intention of influencing the larger community. Think of a town hall meeting. The ecclesia isn't only about, or even primarily about, the people in the ecclesia. It's about the people who aren't yet in the ecclesia. Jesus came to start a movement like that, and as we've seen, ecclesia translates into church. So we're looking through this series at ways to positively influence the people around us as a church, to positively influence the people around us. And as we said last week, this series has very deliberate, a very particular focus. The COVID ordeal of the last year has impacted us in many ways, perhaps in every way. One of the most widely shared concerns is the negative impact that it's had on our children and students. School closures, sports cancellations, social distancing, and everything else that they have experienced, everything else that's been taken away from them raises a range of concerns from academic standing to mental health. So we'll be using this series to focus on the next generation and the influence we can have with them at this time. And today we're going to look at a very specific way we can do it, 
a very specific way that we can influence others. And as I introduce it, you might very well be tempted to say it to yourself, this doesn't apply to me. And if you say that, you'll be wrong. To make my point, we're going to look at a passage from Luke's Gospel. The scene we're looking at today takes place on Easter Sunday evening, the very first Easter Sunday evening. So it's the same scene, it's the same event that we read about last week from John's Gospel, but here told from Luke's perspective. All four Gospels tell us the story of the first Easter, but from four different perspectives. The disciples, Jesus' closest friends and followers, they're traumatized by the events of the crucifixion. Just days earlier, they had seen their leader arrested and put to death in a brutal, savage manner. The worried and frightened that those who killed Jesus will come after them next. And now they're confused because some uh, from among Jesus' larger circle of followers purported to have seen Jesus alive that very day. And then suddenly, impo impossibly, Jesus appears among them himself. While they were still speaking, he stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Jesus, in John's description of this scene that we read last week, John tells us the disciples rejoiced in the presence of the risen Lord. But here, we learn from Luke, the additional detail, the joy was not their first reaction, nor would it likely have been ours. Instead, they're terrified. So Jesus steps into their terror, their confusion, their fear, and he offers peace. The Jewish word, shalom, suggests the total health of the whole person, peace in body, soul, mind, and spirit. They're freaking out, and he's just trying to calm them down. So he tells them, why are you troubled, and why do questions arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh, as you can see, I have. He knows what they're thinking. He knows they're questioning what they're seeing. Beyond their fear, they're simply unbelieving. And he had to challenge them to look past their doubt and accept the evidence of their senses. So he invites them, touch me and see. And as he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they were still incredulous for joy and were amazed, he asked them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of baked fish. He took it and ate it in front of them. Basically, Jesus is coaching them through this experience, providing the evidence they need to leave their doubt behind and embrace the amazing truth that is the resurrection. And so he goes on to tell them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand Scripture. The whole Old Testament 
from the law of Moses to the prophets and even the Psalms, implicitly and explicitly teach the reality of the coming of Christ. If you read the Old Testament looking for Christ, you will find him there. So here he's reminding them that this was his consistent instruction in their time together. He's helping connect the dots, giving them the complete context for what's just happened to him and, and them to help them see and understand. So he goes on to say to them, Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name, beginning in Jerusalem to all nations. You are witnesses to these things. Jesus gives the apostles context and history, the whole history of Israel as prelude for what God is doing in this moment. For centuries, God had prepared for the Christ, the Messiah, to come into the world for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus had suffered and died to make that happen, to put the human race back into right relationship with God. And while God had started with Israel, now the plan is for everyone, for all nations, to hear the good news about God's great love. So Jesus paints a vision for that future and helps the disciples to see their role in it. And they did. They did see it. From that day forward, each of them devoted the whole of their lives to it, sharing what they had seen and heard and experienced, experience, launching that ecclesia movement, just as Jesus had coached them to do. Whoever you are, whatever you do, whatever success you've had in life, you most likely can look to someone or several someones who have helped you, who have coached you. Maybe you've never thought about it that way. Maybe you've never talked about it that way, but that's essentially what happened. They coached you. They help you navigate work or business issues, financial issues, marriage issues. They helped you pick the right college to attend or major to choose. They were the one who got you over a broken friendship or repaired a damaged relationship. They were there to help you find a path forward through a difficult period or an unexpected challenge. We've all experienced coaching, but did you know that you can serve in that role too? It's true, you can, we all can. Maybe you don't think you can because you don't think you know how, but the risen Jesus approach with his frightened friends provides a step-by-step -step guide. Take a look, step one. Coaching others is all about teaching them what they need to know. Helping others make sense of their experience, connecting the dots, learning how to tell their story, or maybe just imparting knowledge and understanding they don't have that you do. As someone's coach, officially or informally, 
you have been places they have not yet gone, had experiences that they're only about to experience. Learn lessons they're just now learning. Jesus does, does this for the disciples with great patience, explaining his death and resurrection, what happened to him and what's happening to them. Step two, coaching others is all about teaching them how to grow. Jesus does this by encouraging the disciples to reach out and touch the marks of his crucifixion, to probe the wound in his side. He wants them to come to the conclusion on their own, through their own personal exploration, that he's real, that he's really alive. The role of a coach is not to just provide answers, but to help others find answers for themselves. Third step, coaching is all about teaching people where they can go, preparing for their role in God's plan. That's what Jesus did for the disciples. He poured into the disciples, not just for their sake, but so that they would lead his movement after he was gone. Notice he said in that scene, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Even though Jesus is in their presence in this moment, he's no longer with them the way he was previously. This post-Easter period was a period of transition between the resurrection and the ascension, a period of transition in which he's coaching them into their future. From the beginning, Jesus had always intended and clearly prepared the disciples to be leaders of his movement, his ecclesia movement, after he was gone, to act on his behalf. That's why this sequel to Luke's gospel is called Acts, because it's the story of what they did to spread the faith. They were witnesses acting on what they had seen and heard. Coaching others prepares them to take their next step, to move into their preferred future. So, what should you do with this information? Well, two things I can think of. First thing, perhaps, begin by beginning to think of yourself differently beginning to think of yourself differently. Begin to think of yourself as someone who really can coach others, someone who has something, probably many things, that you can offer others, especially those who are younger than you. Even if you yourself are a young person, even if you're in high school, middle school students look up to you. If you're in middle school, little kids look up to you. Whoever you are, whatever stage or state of life you're in, you can impart to others what they need to know, how they can grow, where they can go. And let me bring to your attention, as I did last week, a special challenge that we're making in this series. At Nativity, we hold as a high priority and make a huge investment in our kids and student programs. 
Nothing is more important to us than their faith formation in a great church experience that they need and deserve to grow in their relationship with Christ. And of course, moving forward, we'll always be offering most all of our kids and student programs online. That's just permanently a part of who we are and what we do moving forward. But starting this fall, if permitted, we fully intend to offer all our kids and student programs live and in person right here on our Ridgely Road campus. And that means we need help. We need your help. Next weekend, we'll be inviting your support for our next generation ministry by making an investment in that ministry. We'll be inviting you to make a commitment to serve in the ministry by serving in some small, simple, specific way in just one of our many programs. And for those who simply can't make that kind of commitment, we'll be inviting you to commit to a prayer campaign we'll be hosting this fall for the success of our programs and the successful return of our young people to full active participation. You know, our first responsibility and greatest opportunity when it comes to influence is influencing the next generation with our faith.